Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Teams of Native students showcased their robotics designs and programming skills at a competition in Arizona over the weekend. The students, ranging from elementary to high school, have been working on their machines for months. The robots carry out a series of tasks designed to test the students' science and math skills. We'll hear from competitors and their coaches about what it takes to stand out in the increasingly popular world of robotics tournaments. That's coming up after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The National Congress of American Indians has new leaders, including President Pachanga Tribal Chair Mark Macaro. Rhonda Lavaldo has more. New NCAI President Mark Macaro was officially sworn in with other leadership positions Friday as the organization's annual convention wrapped up in New Orleans. Macaro says his priorities as president will include being more vocal in Washington, D.C. He also says there needs to be healing with state-recognized tribes upset with this year's membership amendment vote that would have stripped them of their voting rights and leadership positions at the organization. I want to get all of us used to coming to D.C. to re-engage in an even better way. The mission of NCI, which is being present in D.C. to Congress, the administration, and the White House to advocate priority issues. Outgoing NCI President Fawn Sharp reflected on some of her greatest contributions as NCI President. Continuing to advance tribal sovereignty in the face of a myriad of challenges, including just three months after my election, a global pandemic and a disproportionate uh, funding that left us vulnerable, and we achieved equity with state local government. I think that laid a foundation for our advancements in, in the tax policy arena. So I was the first tribal leader to receive diplomatic recognition uh, to join the U.S. delegation to COP 26 and 27 in uh, Scotland and Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. And the U.S. looked to us to lead a high-level multilateral conversation between the United States directly with indigenous leaders from every continent. Sharp says she'll continue to work to make an international imprint as she works to get tribal nations more visible outside of the United States by attending a meeting with indigenous leaders in Dubai as Macaro starts his term as president. This is Rhonda Lovaldo for National Native News. As part of Native American Heritage Month, the American Bar Association recently asked a group of Native women to talk about how they became lawyers and trailblazers. The panel included U.S. Interior Secretary Deb Holland and Alaska's former Lieutenant Governor Valerie Davidson. KMBA's Rhonda McBride reports. There was a common thread among the women, a strong desire to serve their people, along with encouragement from elders, especially aunties and grandmas, which helped them fight loneliness and isolation during a time when there weren't other Native women, let alone other Natives, in law school. Thank you for your dedication to this profession. For Secretary Holland, her journey to law school began when she was 28 as a single mom who worked to put herself through law school and occasionally had to turn to food stamps. She told the group she's happy to see more Native women in law, but says progress comes amid somber reminders 
from the marginalization of Native Americans to the chronic neglect of missing, murdered, and indigenous people. The MMIP crisis will take the brilliance of legal minds like yours to overcome the jurisdictional challenges that make it difficult to address. Long before Valerie Davidson served as Alaska's lieutenant governor, she saw the law as a powerful political tool. Davidson, now president and CEO of the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium, says a law degree gave her a seat at the table as a decision maker and a game changer. Not only being at the table, but designing a different table that is more inclusive. Inclusion for Abby Abenanti means elevating tribal courts. Abenanti, the chief tribal judge for the Yurok tribe in California, says they're needed because the state court system is based on individual rights. We were a responsibility-based culture. That's a different value system. And so our practices should look different. And that difference, she says, brings diversity to the legal system. In Anchorage, I'm Rhonda McBride. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Vision Maker Media, envisioning a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. 45 plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org. Support by Drummond Woodsum a full-service law firm whose nationally recognized tribal nations practice provides services to tribal nations and their enterprises and to companies that do business with tribes across the country. More at dwmlaw.com. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling, your National Humanities medal-winning radio show and podcast. Over 250 Native students showed off their robotic engineering talents at a competition in White River, Arizona. Students from elementary to high school worked for months designing and rebuilding their robots from scratch and put them up against machines built by other Native students from Arizona, New Mexico, and Oklahoma. Such competitions are becoming increasingly popular and rivalries can get intense. Today we'll talk with Native coaches from the event. Of course, the main goal is learning, and we'll find out what that process means from an educational setting. We also want to hear from you, our listeners. Does your school offer a robotics program, or is it trying to start one? Do you know of a student who might be inspired by creating robots? Join us at 1-800-996-2848 to share your comments on the air. That number again, 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us now from White River, Arizona, is Nakota Altaha. He is the STEM tech and robotics coach at Alchase High School. He is White Mountain Apache. Hello, Nakota. Welcome to Native America Calling. Hey, Sean. Thanks for having me. Also joining us from White River is Tracinda Miller. She is an instructor, coach, and mentor at Theodore Roosevelt School. She's San Carlos Apache. Hi, Tracinda. Great to have you on the show as well. Hey, Sean. Good to be here. Lastly, joining us now is Dan Mance. He is the CEO of the Robotics Education and Competition Foundation. Hi, Dan. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having us. 
Well, let's go ahead and start this conversation. Nakoda, uh, this just sounds like really exciting, fun stuff, robotics competitions, native kids designing, building robots, getting all into STEM and, and learning about the engineering and the technology that goes into robotics. Uh, give us some highlights from the competition over the weekend. Which, which, which robots really stood out and, and which schools really performed well? All right, so we had about 81 teams uh, that competed over the weekend in a two-day tournament in uh, two different um, platforms, the VEX IQ platform and the VEX VRC platform. And um, some teams that really stood out to me while I was watching was uh, in the IQ um, tournament was the eSport uh, Eagles. They're a local IQ team who I think they won the tournament champion award. And they were able to also do really well in their autonomous. So they learned a little bit of coding on the day of the tournament and were able to complete the set of tasks for the autonomous portion of the competition. And then on the other side, the VRC tournament where the high school and middle school uh, teams competed. One team that really stood out, or, or one group, I think it was the Claremore um, High School teams from Oklahoma. They were really competitive and had really advanced robots that were able, they were able to compete at a very high level. And then another team that stood out was um, a junior high team from here locally, actually, Kane Day Junior High. And I believe it's the um, Rough Riders, I believe, they made it to the um, finals. And, and the finals is like the top four teams. So all the other teams were high school teams, and they were the only junior high team. And I think they performed really well. Um, um, yep. So. Rough Riders, that's a, that's a cool name for a robotics team for sure. Now, Nakota, you. You mentioned these two platforms. There's an autonomous platform and a, and a VRC. So are we talking about two main competitions here? One where the robots have to pretty much maneuver themselves, and then in another platform where the handlers or the designers will will operate the robots through remote control. Is that how it works? Um, yes. So the so um, Vex is set up to where there's a driver. There's like three competition, um, there's three ways to compete, I guess. So there's uh, there's a tournament, like a driver's tournament competition where teams compete in the IQ level. They would compete with each other to complete a set of tasks. And then um, they also have the opportunity to complete alone in a in the driver skills where they can where they can uh, compete by themselves, and then they have an autonomous portion as well, which is um, where they program the robot, robot. There's no driver, and then they have to try to complete the task with um, code, com writing out code for the robot, and um, trying to get as many points as possible. So All right. Yep. Well, tell us more about these tasks that the robots have to complete. Like, what types of objects? Are they moving, lifting, moving, navigating obstacle courses? What goes into that? Yeah, so it's a combination of all those, basically, and it, and it changes from year to year. So that's the thing. Um, you can't just 
build a robot and then use it throughout the same competition every year. So you have to redesign a robot to complete the task. Uh, this year in the IQ competition, um, I believe there's something to do with blocks. I don't recall the name of it, um, but they have to grab some different cubes and blocks that are at different sizes and then score them into the um, scoring zone. And in, on the VRC side, the competition is called Over Under, and that competition is set up with like these tri balls. They're called tri balls. They kind of look like acorns. They're like jumbo acorns, and um, the teams have to put the tri balls from one side of the field to the other side of the field, and there's a scoring section that they can push their tri balls onto under and then there's also um like a middle barrier i can't I, mm -hmm. it's uh it's a, yeah so there's a whole bunch of different obstacles that they have to um maneuver around during the competition with four robots on a i want to say like a 12 by 12 foot field so yeah well it sounds Really, really cool, really exciting. And Nakota, tell us more about your role as a coach. Um, so so my role uh, is to basically motivate kids and to try to show them what um, some possibilities are for them if they are to join robotics. You know, uh, my role is just kind of to help them if they don't understand some of the complex building designs or the coding, and I don't really build anything for them. Uh, I don't, it's, it's, it's a little bit, it's different. The coaching part of VEX is a little bit different where this program is a student-centered um, competition. So the coaches and the mentors kind of just make suggestions or show students where they might find the solutions. And then mm -hmm. it's up to the students to um, figure out with figure out what, what their um, solutions might be based on the information given. All right. Now these robots that the students build, uh, about how much time goes into preparing for this competition? Uh, how long does it take to build a robot? And uh, is it expensive? Do they need a lot of equipment, a lot of tools? Um, so the students start building at the beginning of the school year. Um, for our students mainly, unless we have some really um, devoted students who would like to come, come to the robotics room during the summer breaks. We have had that before, but Recently, it's been um, at the start of the school year, and the kits, uh, there are some grants available through the RECF Foundation, and um, I think there are other resources available, but the kits, I think for like a competition kit, it might be over $1,000 for one, or maybe I might be speaking, I don't remember the price on that. Um, Dan might know that a little bit more than me if he's on. 
but yeah, somewhere in there, like I would say, seven to five hundred dollars for one kit. But the 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 robot kit can be the pieces can be utilized um, over the course of multiple seasons. So you kind of buy it once, and then you can add to it and add to it, and your um, materials will start to accumulate, and then you'll be able to utilize those as your program grows. Yeah. Well, thanks, Nakoda. Tracinda, how about you? Tell us about your role at the competition. My role at the competition is I run the system. So, well, I help. I don't want to say I run, but I help run the system. Um, so, like, the whole setup with IQ and BRC, making sure the timer is running, make, making sure we have sound, making sure um, things are run smoothly. Um, at first, I started off as sitting behind a laptop, just pushing a button, running tournament manager, but now it became a bigger role. <laughs> so <laughs> my role has, has kind of grown. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like both you and Nakoda are heavily involved in, in working with students and uh, inspiring young minds to partake on this journey of robotics design and competition. Just a fascinating topic here on Native America Calling today. Big competition that took place in White River, Arizona. And uh, there were champions crowned and uh, celebratory antics as well with some of the competitors uh, who performed well. So we're going to talk a lot more about robotics competitions and native programs to support young minds who want to learn more about robotics and how they translate into the STEM world. Give us a call with questions or comments. 1-800-99-NATIVE. Environmental officials say water on the Santee Sioux Reservation is not fit to drink. It's been that way for more than four years, and there's no solution in sight. We'll hear about the barriers for some Native nations to get a basic necessity of life. That's on the next Native America Calling. Support for this program provided by Vision Maker Media, who envisions a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. Nurturing the next generation of storytellers with courage, generosity, creativity, respect, and commitment. 45-plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org, whose slogan is, Together We Are Vision Makers. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about robotics to inspire Native students to learn more about STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. We also want to hear from you. Does your community have a robotics program? If so, tell us about it at 1-800-996-2848. And reminder, you can listen to this show on all major podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to this show and other Native programming by downloading the Native Voice One app on your smart device. On the line right now, we have Nakoda and Tracinda, and they both were involved over the weekend with the Native American Showcase. And 
Tristinda, you were telling us earlier, you got started uh, just holding a laptop and kind of managing some of the t technical aspects of the competition. What was your favorite moment uh, dur during any of the tournaments or, or any of the competitions? What did you like the most? I think with any, any and all the competitions, I really, really love seeing the kids get excited. Like qualification rounds, they're, you can tell in the beginning they're super nervous. They're really tense. But once they get into the flow of things, they become more comfortable. And by the time finals come, like their excitement takes over and they're just like ready to win the tournament. So that that's like my favorite part, just seeing how excited the kids get in the competition. Well, it sounds like they're really invested in these projects and in these robots. And I'm just curious, Tracinda, is there any smack talking or anything like that? Or is everybody pretty, pretty low key in terms of uh, the intensity there? I'm just and curious, curious minds want to know. <laughs> um, well, smack talk is kind of like not encouraged. <laughs> okay. But I'm, right. I'm pretty sure it happens on a whisper level. But yeah, no, this what I like about this um, VEX program is they encourage positivity. So like they encourage the kids to be positive to um, what is that sportsmanship? They, they really, really encourage that. There's even an award for sportsmanship. So they do have to be polite. They have to be respectful and on their best behavior because there are judges while the competition is going on. There are judges observing them and um, just seeing like who is showing those, those qualities, those traits, those characteristics. So yeah, it, it, I'm pretty, like I said, I'm pretty sure the smack talk does happen, but like, <laughs> Yeah, behind the scenes the yeah. it's not encouraged well how about this Tristan? though is it does it get loud is there a lot of cheering from the audience and spectators um sometimes when the spectators know like what's going on when they understand the game because like like nakota said the game it, you, there's a set of tasks that do have to be um completed you know while the game is going and the game only lasts well for iq the game lasts one minute, so a lot is happening in that one minute. So if they understand, if the crowd understands what's going on, then yeah, you'll hear some cheering, and then you'll also hear like the kids when they score a point, they start cheering for their team and their alliance. So it can get loud, especially during finals or the final rounds when it gets really intense. <laughs> <laughs> Well, tell us more about the robotics program at San Carlos Apache. How long has it been running? Well, um, I'm from San Carlos, but I work in White River. So I live within the White River area. I would like San Carlos to be involved with this program that we have here. Um, but as far as I know, San Carlos like started, they did use VEX one year, and now they're using a different robotics program, and I haven't. I don't know if they're still using a robotics program this year, but. Um, okay. But yeah. Theodore Roosevelt, that's where you work. Um, I'm sorry. I, I should have been more clear. Tell us more about the program there at Theodore Roosevelt. It's a middle school, right? Yes. So this is my first year with um, Theodore Roosevelt School. I was previously at Canyon Day Junior High, um, which is in White River. Um, but the program here, like my coworkers, the other coaches were new 
still too. So um, we're just kind of taking our previous experiences and putting them together and figuring out uh, what works with the kids here and what we need to change. So it's it's been an interesting start. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's kind of like um, starting up new with, you know, a whole new group and figuring each other out. So it's it's been fun. <laughs> and how popular is the robotics program there at Theodore Roosevelt Middle School? Do a lot of kids sign up? Is there a lot of interest? There is a lot of interest. Um, we had about, I think, 60 kids sign up, but because of sports, um, they weren't able to participate. So out of that 60, only, I think, seven were able to actually dedicate time to to compete this season. Mm-hmm. And Dakota, how about there at Alchesay High School? Is is Robotics Club, is that a varsity sport? Can, can students earn letters for that? Of getting that, uh, um, worked on so last year when I transitioned to Alchesay, in a more permanent role. We had one student and one team. And so this year, one of the goals I had for myself was to increase the number of students. And at this competition this past weekend, we were able to have five teams who competed and I think about over 20 students on across those five teams. So, um, but yeah, lettering, the varsity that that's the next kind of the next step in our process that's exciting because that yep you know i see more schools like like esports um i know that there are schools now that have varsity programs for esports so it sounds like robotics is just right around the corner and, and ready to catch up with that so lots of opportunities here for young people uh there on the white river reservation in Arizona to learn more about robotics as well as some of these other communities that were represented there, Claremore, Oklahoma, uh, Cherokee country there uh, in the southeast, uh, Oklahoma territory as well. And uh, let's go ahead and and bring Dan into the conversation now, CEO of the Robotics Education and Competition Foundation. And Dan, tell us more about this Native American showcase uh, that was held over the weekend. How did this come about? Uh, well, this was our third annual event, uh, and uh, you know we're very fortunate to have uh, coaches such as Nakoda and, and Cassandra and and their contributions. Um, you know, the REC Foundation has Vex Robotics and drones and workforce development programs across the world. You know, all 50 states, 90 countries. Um, but a lot of times, we've learned that having showcase events, uh, regular events that, that focus on one part of our community, it can really engage the community. So um, honestly, this started because of the efforts of, you know, the White Mountain Apache uh, tribes in Arizona. They they wanted to host events, uh, and our uh, and in Oklahoma, the uh, Cherokee nations also would host events. And and the idea was to um, have an event that just focused on their community, and um, and it's kind of grown, and I think it's grown. Uh, largely because of the the efforts of the White Mountain Apache and and what they've done. So the event this past weekend was a total of 71 teams from, you know, Oklahoma, New Mexico, and Arizona, and that was 22 different Native American schools, including the Apache, Cherokee, and Navajo. 
Um, but what we like about this event versus one of our thousands of other events is it really focuses on the culture as well. Um, I think it's uh, we've learned um, from our Native American uh, community it's important that they different nations get to see each other. Uh, a lot of the students never get off the reservation, so they get a chance to, to see each other and compete with each other and encourage each other. And, and most importantly, focus on culture as well as robotics and career development and stuff like that. So, again, the RIC Foundation is is very fortunate to, to have partners. Uh, you know, Amazon and, and Google provided a lot of funding for this event. Um, but we're fortunate to have the teachers and the event partners that will actually host this. And, and I'd also like to give a shout-out to the entire, entire White Mountain Apache community as well. I mean, they come out and, and support the students, and they provide local meals. And each year they do a, a local dance with songs, and I think that's really, really exciting. And I think it's really, really strong for the cultural exchange. Now, Dan, where does it go from here? Are there national tournaments or any other competitions that students from the Native American Showcase can, can compete in as well? Well, um, you know, traditionally in Oklahoma, the, the Cherokee Nation has an event for theirs, but I think this is just the beginning. Uh, what the White Mountain Apache hosted, you know, Southwest Native American Showcase has really uh, engaged the community. And uh, again, Amazon uh, wants to provide more opportunities, but uh, Google.org has also come in, and there are plans next year to host these events in the Pacific Northwest and the Upper Plains in the Dakotas, as well as uh, hopefully the Apache will continue to support the event in Arizona. Um, but the idea is uh, to have more of these events, to bring the, the students together. And then the, the, the students in our program, the Native American students in our program, often will compete in regular VEX robotics competitions as well. And there's a path to, a, to compete at the, the VEX Robotics World Championship, which will be held in Dallas this year. So the tournament champions and the Excellence Award winner from this past weekend's event will compete at the VEX Robotics World Championship, and they'll also be recognized at the event as well. So the idea is we'll continue to have these Native American showcases, but we'll have more of them in different geographic regions in the U.S. Um, but again, we want to grow the programs and all the reservations and give more students an opportunity for these important workforce skills. And I think we have mm -hmm. the dedicated volunteers as well as, you know, some, some corporate uh, support to, to grow these initiatives. Dan, you mentioned the workforce skills and, and you have companies like Google that are backing this, uh, you know, heavy, heavy tech companies, big, big multi-global corporations. So is that ultimately the goal to uh, produce students that can go on to successful STEM careers? Or is it more about just giving students exposure to some of this technology and, and letting them choose what they want to do with it? Actually, that's an excellent question. And I think it's both. Um, you know, every year we start thousands of teams and, and tens of thousands of students join it, and it's not for everybody. And I think that's okay. I think um, if you join a robotics team and it's not for you, um, robotics is going to become an integral part of our culture. And I think that at least if you've had some exposure and you're not intimidated, that's a win right there. But the idea is, for example, for Amazon, right, they're, they're investing in this because they see a very strong resource with the Native American communities 
to become um, computer science, to do become programmers. Uh, their Indigitize initiative is to invest in these communities because they see future computer science uh, professionals. They think it's a good match for what they need. Um, but also, you know, we're very fortunate that we had tribal leadership at this event. And, and the, what they're communicating is they want the students to leave and get a, a STEM education, but come back and invest in the community. As, they, as, as we develop more infrastructure programs in the reservations, we need skilled tech workforce. And that's the goal for this as well, is for the students to be exposed to this, to go out. It doesn't have to be an engineering degree or a science degree. It can be industry certifications. It can be tech training. But to bring that skill set back to the reservation to, to support these water initiatives and to support uh, wind initiatives and stuff like that, those are tech jobs. And we want to provide the training and the resources to the Native American students to get those skills to come back and support the local community. Let's take a caller, Chanupa, up in Pine Ridge, South Dakota, listening on Keeley. Hello, Chanupa. Hey, thank you for having me, Sean, on this topic. I'm going to tell you something that's really interesting and beautiful. Now, Dan mentioned some things about the kids and all this and how they can compete and can't and whatnot. I give him the utmost honor for that. Back in the 70s, me and uh, three brothers of mine, okay, they're, they're my brothers, that's our culture, Laverne Jack, Charles Quiver, and Edgar Fire Thunder, we competed in a robot stove-making competition, okay? And I made um, a stove that was uh, circular, you know, out of a, a toilet paper spool. Laverne made one out of a box, and the other two made ones out of their own. But we made these to make heat in the wintertime. And we had a thermometer to see what, what we could, you know, um, raise the thermometer on. So Laverne made his raise the thermometer up to like 50, 53 Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. Myself, mine went to 42 because I used tinfoil in that little uh, that, uh, spool. And so that competition went on. Laverne won 25, I won 15. And when, <laughs> when this topic came on, it was such a beautiful thing. And, Dan, I want to thank you for doing what you can to help our kids. And that's a form of, you know, using creativity, which led me to build wood stoves today out of 55-gallon uh, drum um, barrels for my elders in need of warmth. So thank you for this topic, Sean, and thank you for having me on. Back to you. All right. You bet, Chanupa. Great story. And Dan, listening to our caller, Chanupa, talk about building stoves uh, years ago, and it was a competition. And I'm thinking myself, I remember the science fair competitions when I was a kid, and, and there was some engineering in that and different projects. So there's there's a long history with um, with some of these types of competitions. But it sounds like it's just really growing and really expanding and really keeping up with modern technology, this whole robotics element. So how long have you been doing this type of work and involved with this type of competition, Dan? Well, I, you know, it's interesting because I'm old enough. I've been doing it long enough that when I was in school, there was no robotics. And, and my activity was Boy Scouts and, and Junior Achievement. And, and there's been traditionally lots of programs over the past hundred years that give us an opportunity to work with other students, right? It doesn't have to be robotics. 
I think, you know, I've been, I started my career in robotics. My goodness, I hate to age myself, but in the early 90s, I was in industrial robotics. And, and let's be honest, most students, when you think of robotics, you think of robots in the factory that are making cars or they're moving big, heavy boxes. It used to be the, the dull, dangerous, uh, dirty work is what we did robotics. But it's all changed. I mean, robotics is becoming part of our, uh, part of our culture now, in a sense. I mean, there are robots now that are um, mixing chemicals together because it's such a dangerous job. You know, robots doing medical work and, and robots, you know, stocking the shelves. And uh, um, so about 20, about, you know, I was in industrial robotics for 20 years, and then I had the opportunity to join the REC Foundation, uh, uh, you know, seven years ago and, and try to provide these programs. And what we learned is that one program, one size doesn't fit all. I'm actually in Cal Berkeley right now. I mean, you know, that is Silicon Valley. These are the high-tech capital of the world. And we're having a large robotics competition here this weekend. Robotics competitions in native communities, native high schools. That's the focus of our show today. Give us a call. 1-800-996-2848. Tell us what you know about robotics. Support for journalism that raises the awareness of child well-being to citizens and to policymakers provided by the Annie E. Casey Foundation, building a brighter future for children, families, and communities. Information at aecf.org. Does your club, institution, or other group need custom-branded apparel? A wide variety of T-shirts, hoodies, and much more, all custom-printed or embroidered, are available from nativescreenprinting.com, a division of Skyscreen Printing who support this program. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Join the conversation today by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. You can also comment on our social media pages like Facebook and Instagram. Tracinda Miller is the coach and mentor and an instructor at Theodore Roosevelt School. And Tracinda, we're learning today that uh, there are a lot of... uh, real-world applications to learning robotics competitions like this, possibly a career in STEM. But what do you hear from the kids that you work with that are competing? What do they like most about the competition, and what do you think they're learning the most? The kids, what the kids, I hear a lot of excitement about driving. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it, it's amazing because their, their point of view starts off small in the beginning of the season. So they're just really excited to drive. But by the end of the season, um, when they've competed a couple of times and they've gotten used to how it goes, um, you see the growth. Like you see the growth in not only them driving, but like communicating and they get excited for themselves. Like, and as coaches, we get excited for them because we see their growth and we, you know, tell them like, hey, you're doing a great job. You sounded really well today. Or, you know, how'd your interview go? We ask them reflection questions. And sometimes they're super hard on themselves, but they kind of, you know, they reiterate what they told the judge and this and that. And you pick out the, the good things to encourage them to do more, to, to be better. And so they learn that and... I forgot what the second question was. <laughs> just w- what they learn most. and But I'm curious, you just mentioned interviews, Tristan. So 
do the competitors also have to to explain their robots to, to some of the judges and talk a little bit about what their what their robot does and, and how they built it? Yes. So um, there's a whole lot that goes into one competition. So other other than driving, other than doing their individual skills and doing their programming, there are, like I said before, there are judges walking around and interviewing teams. And when they interview them, they ask them um, about their robot, the design process, how did they use the design process while building their robot, any problems they had, how did they solve those problems. So they get this like full-on interview just about them and their robot. And uh, what I like about the VEX program is um, it's student-centered. So as a coach, I can't, I can't build a robot and tell my team, okay, you use this robot. Because when it comes to interview time, they're not going to know how the robot was built. So mm -hmm. the knowledge comes from them. It's their design, how they how they modify it, change it. They need to know that knowledge. So when they're asked about it, the judges know like, okay, I know this team built this robot. I know this team worked together to program the robot. Well, that sounds like that's an important part, Tristinda, because I've, I've been to, like I mentioned those science fairs earlier when I was a kid. And sometimes you could just tell that like some of the parents did a lot of the heavy lifting on those projects. And it was always, you know, you'd always feel kind of disappointed. Like if you didn't have a, a parent that could help you with something like that, I could, I could totally relate to that. So, well, what about the, the teams and the specific robots? Do kids come up with names for their robots? Yes, they can. They can if, you know, if they're super creative that way or if they feel like their robot gives a certain type of personality, <laughs> then yeah. Yeah, they can name their robot. What are some of the names that kids come up with? Um, well, my kids, <laughs> they're, when we told them like to come up with a team name, um, they were like, well, we want to name our robot Warbot. And I was like, well, but you need a team name. And they're like, well, we'll just be Warbot. So <laughs> their, their robot is named Warbot. <laughs> but I yeah, love they it. can. I love I, it. Yeah, it, it, some of them get really creative. Um, I've got, I can't think of any on the top of my head right now, but yeah, some of them do get pretty creative with the names, SpongeBob theme, huh. anime theme, yeah. Sure, sure. Nakota, how about you? We heard Dan talk earlier about the cultural connections there with the robotics competition, and, and how do you think robotics and, and everything the kids are learning how do you think that translates to to apache culture i think um it's an opportunity for our students to kind of just continue to grow um, the culture aspect that's embedded into this competition is to allow our students to share with other students, kind of let them see um, a little bit of who they are and where they come from. And, and that just, I think, gives an overall better understanding from, from team to team. And it's a little bit different 
from other competitions that I've uh, been to. I've been to the VEX World competition and to the Arizona State Championships. And at those events, there VEX in itself is a community, but the Native American showcase it, it adds a little bit of um, culture aspect into that, where students are allowed to share. Uh, who they are in terms of like their clans and um, maybe their their region of the country they're from, and then some other um, traditional attire that they wear on the competition day, and um, th th so that's that's a part of the culture that they bring into the competition, and, and this competition in particular, the this Native American showcase. So that mm -hmm. it, with the Apache culture, it's just like um, sharing, I think, sharing who we are and um, and how we got here, I guess, with some of the other teams just to better understand each other. And because it's, it's also a way, I think, that our students learn a little bit easier. They're able to um, familiarize themselves with some of those other students from the other side of the country and they're able to share ideas and and it's all within um, the native community. So that's, that's something that's really unique and neat. Nakota, I'm also curious about if you're seeing uh, any positive results of the robotics club or these competitions with with other classes like with we hear so much about the importance of stem right science technology engineering math and colleges really encourage kids to, to get a lot of those stem courses in and do well in them and are you seeing kids um that compete in robotics are you seeing them perform better in math classes and science classes and in related subjects like that um so i, I think yeah, so it goes hand in hand. Like uh, in here in robotics, we're learning about gear ratios and figuring out how to um, improve our robot speed, the velocity. So all those are mathematical concepts that we have to learn and then teach to the students. And, and then coding in itself is a whole nother, um, a whole nother aspect of this. So the coding the text-based text -based coding is kind of where we're pushing our teams. But yeah, I think in general, our students are um, performing well in other STEM-related subjects. And also it just helps for our students with attendance as well. These students are more willing to come to school and they're able to give their free time um, to work on the robots like before and after school. So it allows our students to just be really involved in in um, robotics. And Nakota, in terms of the facilities you have there at Ultra Say High School, do you have a special room there where all the equipment is stored and and the parts for the robots? And if so, is it a big undertaking to to fund the team every year and to provide all the resources, all the tools, all the equipment that you need? So uh, initially it was um, a little bit of a challenge, but I think if you're able to think outside the box and also um, be willing to look for resources, like I mentioned, the RCF has uh, grants available for teams that are starting. And then um, we've been kind of creative with some of our resources 
that might be unique to here, but uh, oh, one program that might be available to some students or communities is the Johnson O'Malley program, J-O-M. That is a program that's been really beneficial to us. And then there are some other resources here locally that we were able to utilize that. Um, but it, like I said, the initial cost upfront is gonna be kind of big, but, but as you go on, you kind of accumulate materials and then the cost isn't so much after that. But I think mm -hmm. um, schools are able to fundraise and, and build those um, funds to support the program. And Dan, for somebody listening to our show today, interested in starting a robotics club at their school, where do they go? What advice do you have? That's recf.org. And uh, there's a map there, and when you click on the map uh, of your state, you'll, you'll find who's your team engagement manager, and they will provide the opportunities for uh, grants for equipment as well as mentoring. It's, uh, we try not to just give out equipment. We also try to provide resources for the coaches so that they're comfortable coaching robotics. Uh, that includes peer-to-peer -peer mentoring, and it includes uh, – uh, matching you with other teams that have some more experience, and then just talking to our staff on a regular basis to answer any questions. So again, recf.org, um, and as you navigate, uh, you can find information about grants and your regional support. Thanks, Dan. Tracinda, back to you. In all the, the years that you've been helping out with, with the programs and, and, and watching students build these robots, what do you think is the toughest part of that process of a young person building a, a robot? What do they struggle with the most in terms of just that whole uh, experience, you know, the, the technical aspects of it? And, and, and how do you help them overcome those challenges? I think there's uh, a couple of things that are a challenge. So um, they have, the kids will have an idea of what they want their robot to do, but like, what's in their head to put it out physically tends to be a struggle. Um, one thing that we try to do is have them draw it out or have them um, look at the pieces and see where they fit. I guess playing with it first and figuring out how it can all fit together. Um, VEX also uh, provides manuals for a pre-build, which they can use, but um, they do have to modify those. Um, another part of the competition is the engineering notebook, and that has been a big struggle, um, one that I see for, for me and my teams. <laughs> is, and, uh -huh. and it's because they have, to, they have to record everything in detail, and uh, sometimes the kids just want to rush, write one, one or two sentences and say, I'm done, and it's like, no, you got to think about what you did today, what what problem did you have? How did you solve that problem? Did you even solve it today? And if not, what are some solutions that you have for the next day or the next time we meet? So getting them in that mindset of it's more than just building and driving. There's more to it. You got to record daily what you do and not like a journal, like today so-and-so showed up and we talked about this so you got to talk about write about what what you did with your robot and how you changed it if anything changed 
Well, that this is why I like so much what I'm hearing so much about this program is that what you're describing, like these interviews and collecting data and keeping journals of their progress. I mean, those are real world skills that I think someday are really going to pay off for a lot of these young people, because I think anybody that's working even outside of STEM, those are things that you have to do as part of a job. So this just all sounds great. And Tristinda, how about somebody who's listening to the show and maybe they don't have a robotics team at their school and they don't have access to some of this stuff at school, but could, could somebody just do this at home? Could somebody, what advice do you have for, for a young person or, or some parents that want to help their kids get into robotics, but they want to do it at home? <laughs> Actually, I think Nakoda would be like the perfect, perfect person to answer this question. <laughs> okay, Nakoda, fire away. We've got about a minute before we have to wrap up the show, though. Please, Nakoda, help us out. All right. So I think um, if you have a student who's willing to do the work. They do sell um, some VEX equipment like uh, at the local stores that you could start with. But if you want to get into the competition um, part of VEX, I think you would have to start with some research maybe at RECF Foundation or the VEX um, website. That's uh, VEX.com, I think. And there you can go through the site map. But uh, if you have a student that's willing, there are home teams that compete homeschool teams that compete and um, yeah, that's where I would start. I think the vex.com website and the RECF and then also at your local Walmart, I think, or Target, there may be some vex uh, robotics um, equipment there. All right. That's what I'm thinking about. Just a, just a store going online or something like that and just finding a little kit of some sort, bring it home, ordering it and putting it together and just starting from there. It sounds like a, a really, really cool hobby or competition. It sounds like you can just take this as far as you want and, uh, and get as involved and as competitive as your ambition uh, provides you that opportunity. So really appreciate all of our guests who joined us on the show today. Nakota Altaha, Tracinda Miller, and Dan Mance in providing insights and perspectives on robotics clubs at Native American schools. Hope you'll join us here on Native America Calling again tomorrow. We'll be taking a look at a Nebraska tribe's years-long struggle to find a source for clean drinking water. I hope you'll tune in. Until then, I'm your host, Sean Spruce. My precious relatives, Keep your family healthy and strong. Open enrollment for Medicare and marketplaces here. Make sure you and your loved ones are covered. For more information, contact your Indian health care provider, visit healthcare.gov, or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. The Association on American Indian Affairs welcomes all to Tribal Museums Day, December 2nd through the 10th. Tribal museums may offer no-cost or reduced admission, art markets, and cultural demonstrations. Tribal Museums Day honors Native nations as the experts of their diverse cultures. A map of tribal museums and more is available at Indian-Affairs.org slash Tribal Museums Day. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this show. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico, 
by Kwanic Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.